0: This is the Islamic History Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11, powered by IslamicLearningMaterials.com.
1: Welcome to the Islamic History Podcast from Islamic Learning Materials. This is where we take the history of Islam, peel back the layers, and add a little bit of spices and serve it up in tiny little bite sized pieces. And here's the man who's going to do all the cooking Mutaki Ismail.
0: Assalamualaikum. Alaikum, Welcome back to the Islamic History Podcast. This is the second season in the 11th episode, and I must begin with an apology because I missed the past two weeks. And there was a good reason for it. I was scheduled to give a khutbah at Georgia Tech here in Atlanta, and it took me about two weeks to prepare for it. I don't really get much free time after work, and so I spent most of my free time preparing for my khutbah for the past two weeks. Alhamdulillah, the khutbah, I believe, was pretty darn good, but it was just a little bit too much and just not enough time in the day to both work, prepare for the khutbah, and prepare a podcast. Something had to give, and the podcast lost out. Alhamdulillah, we are back on track now. Today, we will be discussing the Battle of Nihavan. This would be the last major battle between the Muslims and the Persians, and it would ultimately be the final nail in the coffin of the dying Sasanid dynasty. Show notes for this episode will be available at Islamic learningmaterials.com slash iran that is i-r-a-n like the country so you can find all of the links mentioned in this episode there but for now let's go ahead and get into the show here we go with the islamic history podcast season 2 episode 11 <laughs> by the time the year 641 rolled around the Muslims were in pretty good position on three different fronts. In Egypt, Amr ibn al-As had occupied the city of Alexandria and was on the verge of capturing it. While in Syria, the Muslims had conquered all the way up to the borders of Anatolia, modern-day Turkey. And in Persia, the Muslims had captured most of the southwestern part of the former Persian Empire. This area that the muslims had conquered in persia contained the best and most fertile lands in the empire and these would be considered modern-day iraq kuwait and some parts of northwestern iran as we had mentioned in earlier episodes omar ibn al khattab the kali for the muslim world had gotten tired of all the fighting and he was really ready to lay down arms and just be grateful for what the muslims had captured thus far however the Persian pride wouldn't allow them to make peace with the Muslims and accept their losses. The Sasanid dynasty was intent on keeping the battle going and recapturing the territory that they had lost. The ruler of the remaining empire was Emperor Yazdegerd, and he now made his base in the valley of Nihavand, near the city of Hamadan. And as soon as he had the chance, he began to build another army to resume attacks on the Muslims. All of his movements caught the eyes of the Muslim governor of Kufa in Iraq, a companion named Amr ibn Yasir. If that name sounds familiar, it's because his mother Sumeya and his father Yasir were the first martyrs for Islam when they were tortured to death by the Quraysh many years earlier during the time of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. When Omar Ibn Yasir found out about the Persian movements, he sent word to Caliph Omar back in Medina. Even though Omar desperately wanted peace, even though he was willing to lay down arms, he had no choice but to drum up another army to meet and counter the Persian threat. Omar began calling in forces from all over the Muslim empire, Basra, Kufa, and Medina, all sent hundreds of soldiers to defend the Muslim territories in Iraq. Even though Sa'ad ibn Abi waqas was still the overall leader in Persia, Omar appointed a different companion, a man named Nu'man ibn Maqaruddin, as the commander for this battle. Muslim men from all over the empire responded to Omar's call, and by the year 642, over 30,000 Muslim soldiers had converged in the valley of Nehavand, getting ready to face 60,000 Persian soldiers. The Persians had done well in fortifying their position. They had set up many obstacles between them and the Muslims, and it would not be easy for the Muslims to remove the Persians from their garrison. The first obstacle between the Muslims and the Persians was a stream, and going through this stream, the Muslims would be easy targets for the Persian archers up in the mountains. Beyond the stream, the next obstacle the Muslims would face would be a field covered with thousands of caltrops. These were little iron spikes set in the ground and hidden in order to disable the Muslim horses and the Muslim men when they stepped on it. If they got past the stream and past the caltrops, the Muslims would have to march uphill while thousands of Persian archers shot at them from well-hidden and fortified positions. The Muslim commander, Numan ibn Muqarrin, surveyed the area and realized that there would be no way to try to outflank this enemy. The only way they were going to break through the Persian defenses was with a full frontal assault. And so, in mid-December 642, Numan ibn Muqarrdin led his men out from their camps and towards the Persian army. Numan ibn Muqarrdin had a habit and a desire to always fight after the noon prayer, Salatul Dhuhr. This was because he had witnessed Prophet Muhammad wasallam practice the same thing. And so it would be after the noon prayer, that Numan ibn Muqarrin and the Muslim soldiers left their camp. So Numan ibn Muqarrin and the Muslims began to make their way across the stream. They lost hundreds of soldiers as the Persians easily picked them off. And then they got to the caltrops and lost several more soldiers and horses as they made their way through the spiky minefield. And then they advanced slowly up the hill while the Persians rained arrows down on them. Finally, the two sides met in battle and there were no more obstacles, no more barriers between the Muslims and the Persians and the fight was on. The two sides clashed near the top of the hill and they fought viciously until sunset when it became too dark to fight any longer and the Muslims withdrew from the battlefield and made their way back to the camp. This was not a good day for the Muslims, for they had lost hundreds of soldiers while hardly making a dent in the Persian defenses. The next day, Numan ibn Muqarrin got his soldiers ready for battle once more. He decided another frontal assault would be the best course of action. And once again, he waited until after the noon prayer before making his way across the stream. The second day of action was very much like the first, with the Muslims once again losing hundreds of men and not making any real progress against the Persians. After this unacceptable outcome, Numan ibn Muqarren decided not to try a frontal assault a third time, and instead he called a council of war of his top commanders. The Muslims acknowledged that they had several disadvantages in their war against the Persians. First of all, the Persians had set themselves up very well defensively. Secondly, it was December and very cold, and generally speaking, the Arabs didn't do too well with the cold. Furthermore, the Muslim base of operations was the city of Kufa, which was in Iraq and which was also almost 300 miles away. However, the Persian base of operations was in Hamadan, which was less than 10 miles away. And finally, the Persians outnumbered the Muslims. The Persians had 60,000 men at the start of the battle, while the Muslims only had 30,000. On top of that, the Persian forces were continuously supplemented by soldiers filtering in from the surrounding areas. Numan ibn Muqaruddin and his council of war discussed all of these disadvantages and realized that they had to come up with a unique plan in order to dislodge the Persians from their stronghold. And finally, after several hours of discussion, they had a plan. The next day passed with no action and no fighting between the two sides. The day after that also passed by, once again with no action and the next day as well. In fact, an entire week went by with absolutely no fighting between them. Then one day, the Persians began to discuss a rumor that they had heard. This was a very important rumor to them because it could mean victory. They had heard that Caliph Umar, the leader of the Muslim forces, the leader of the Muslim empire that had conquered so much of their territory, had died back in Medina. The Persian general wanted to be sure of this and so he sent some scouts out to observe the Muslim forces, the Muslim camp, and report back what they saw. The scouts reported that indeed the Muslims were seemingly packing up their stuff and preparing to break camp. The Persian general knew that this would be the perfect time to strike at the Muslim rear as they left the camp and headed back for Iraq. He quickly gathered 50,000 of his best soldiers and led them down from the mountain and into the valley of Nihavand towards the retreating Muslim soldiers. When the Persian army came to the field of Caltrops, they quickly brushed them aside. They knew they were there, for they had put them there themselves. But once the Persians had gone through the field of Caltrops, the Persian general made sure that they replaced them pretty soon the Persian forces caught up with the Muslim army leaving the battlefield and heading back towards Iraq. Quickly, the Persian general had his soldiers line up in battle formation and they began advancing towards the Muslims. When Nukman ibn Makaruddin saw this, he ordered his soldiers to turn around and face the enemy coming towards them and prepare for battle themselves. But let's remember, Nu'man ibn Makaruddin always preferred to fight after Salatul Dhuhr. So now that the Persians were advancing towards him, he had no choice but to defend himself. However, he would not allow his soldiers to counterattack nor advance on the Persians until after the noon prayer. When the Persian soldiers were close enough, their archers unleashed a terrible volley of arrows on the Muslims. The Muslims, all they could do was put up their shields and try their best to defend themselves because their command would not allow them to rush the archers in front of them. Once the archers had done as much damage as they could, the Persian foot soldiers withdrew their swords and their spears, held them forward, and rushed towards the Muslim lines. The Persians smashed into the Muslim soldiers and they fought viciously. Once again, however... Nu'man ibn Makaruddin would only allow his soldiers to defend themselves and push the Persians back, but they would not counterattack. They would not go forward and meet the Persians in battle. He would only allow his soldiers to stay there and let the Persians come to them. It wasn't until finally, after the noon prayer had passed, Nu'man ibn Makaruddin gave his soldiers the order to advance. The Muslim soldiers had a whole lot of pent-up frustration and anger for sitting for so long while the Persians just hacked away at them, and they surged forward with a mighty roar and went into the Persians in a vicious, terrible attack. The two sides fought bravely, but the Muslims had a trick up their sleeve, while the Muslims and the Persians were engaged in battle, a hidden cavalry of Muslims rushed out from behind a rocky cliff and tried to attack the Persians by hitting them in their rear. The Persians had to do their best to fight on two different sides and prevent themselves from being outflanked. However, they were ultimately caught between the two blades of a pair of scissors. The Persians were trying to fight their initial foe in front of them and the Muslim cavalry behind them and they were slowly squeezing the Persians in until the pressure got so much that the Persian soldiers finally broke rank and tried to run for their lives. But if you would remember something that we had mentioned about the Persian soldiers, an odd habit that they had, we mentioned this in some of the very early episodes of this season. The Persians liked, for some reason, to chain their legs together when they fought. And as this caused them problems in the earlier battles against the Muslims, this also caused them problems in this battle. When the Persians ran and their legs were chained together, when one soldier was killed or fell down, the other 10 soldiers in line became sitting ducks and the Muslim soldiers would pounce upon them and strike them all down. Furthermore, as the Persians ran away and in their haste and their desire to escape the death coming from the Muslims all around them, they forgot that they had replaced all of those iron caltrops that they had swept aside earlier in their pursuit of the Muslims. And so as they ran away from the Muslims, they ran right into their own trap. With that, hundreds of Persian soldiers and horses were disabled. Several Persian soldiers did escape the fighting and managed to make it back to their fortified garrison on the hill. They held out for a few days, but ultimately they decided to surrender and agreed to pay the jizya. When the nearby towns and cities heard of how easily it was to escape fighting from the Muslims, when they heard that all it took was agreement to pay the jizya, many of them also followed that example and agreed to surrender. On a sad note, however, the Muslim commander, nu'man ibn Muqarrin, was severely injured during the battle and died a few days later. Omar ibn Khattab was so happy and so impressed with this victory that he raised a stipend for all of the veterans of this battle. Of course, the rumors of Omar dying was simply a ruse perpetrated by the Muslims to draw the Persians out from their defenses in this would be the last major battle between the muslims and the persians much of modern day iran had still not been captured but for all intents and purposes the sassanid dynasty was beaten the persian army and the sassanid dynasty they would continue to fight they would carry on but All of these later skirmishes between the Persians and the Muslims were very small and meaningless battles, and they did nothing more but prolong the inevitable. Emperor Yazdugir, he would now become a fugitive as he ran from town to town and hideout to hideout with the Muslims hot on his tail. But, unfortunately, he would ultimately be killed, murdered, by a common Persian peasant. (laughs) Alhamdulillah, inshallah, I hope that you benefited from that. And now I can go ahead and explain why you missed two weeks. Well, I guess I missed two weeks of this podcast. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, I had to give a khutbah at Georgia Tech. And there's only but so many hours in a day and I just couldn't work Give the khutbah, well, prepare for the khutbah and prepare for this podcast within the same 24 hours. Things just didn't work out. However, if you would like to listen to the fruits of my labor, if you would like to listen to the khutbah, the download will be available on the show notes page for for this episode, which will be islamiclearningmaterials.com slash iran, I-R-A-N. So this will probably be the last episode dealing with the conquest of Persia. This will not be the last time we speak about this area, however, because Persia is still very, very important in the story of Islam as it plays a pretty big role in the lives and the deaths of Caliph Omar, Uthman, and, believe it or not, Ali as well. Now, there are two new articles available in Islamic learning materials from Sister Subhana Wahaj, that is the daughter of Imam Siraj Wahaj. There's one about homeschooling and another one about the blessings and the burden of having children. Just in case you didn't know, there is another website associated with Islamic learning materials called RomanticMuslim.com. And in fact, I even had... A podcast at one point called romanticmuslim.com. I believe I may have mentioned that in previous episodes. However, we now have different articles going to romanticmuslim.com. These articles are primarily dealing with relationships and marriage from, a, from an Islamic perspective. And so there is also a new article on romanticmuslim.com by Subhanahu Wahaj dealing with one of her favorite books written by a Muslim author about how we can preserve our marriage. Now, finally, just one more thing. want to update you on the first 50 episodes of The Elm Show, which was once this show, this Islamic this History podcast. The first iteration of it was called The Elm Show. As I had mentioned earlier, the first 50 episodes are now available as archives on The Elm Club. So if you would like to listen to me struggle with podcasts earlier on, you can get to do that. They will be available there. Really, I only really, really struggled the first 10 to 15 episodes or so. After I got me a decent mic, eh, things got a little bit better. But you know, you learn, you grow, things happen. So if you would like to listen to those episodes, then by all means, I encourage you to join the Um Club if you have not joined as yet. Links for that, of course, will be in the show notes, dot com slash iran. And I ask that you forgive the first six to seven episodes of these archived episodes because they're not going to sound that great because I had a janky microphone at the time. So, just to remind you all, links to download the Khutbah and links to the articles by Subhanahu Wahaj and links to the Elm Club will all be available at the show notes page for this episode, Islamic dot com Slash Iran. So we are going to bounce on out of here to the song So Real by Raif and Maher Zain. And just one quick warning this song. ...has some music in it. So, if that's not your thing, if you're not into music, if you believe it is forbidden to listen to, then you may want to stop this after I say, as alaykum. However, I do ask, I ask, please do not write me to tell me that music is haram. There is lots of ikhtilaf surrounding that topic. Ikhtilaf means difference of opinions. So, please... Do not write to me about it. If you don't like it, then just cut it off after I say what I'm about to say. Until next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.
1: Is what I feel And it's so real I gave it up up, All for you And there ain't nothing That I won't do All I know deep down inside Your mind, don't you know? The love fades away. They say it only brings you pain. But what I feel is so real. I give it up back in time to you. Cause I know what you can do. For oh, Allah, open up a heart. Willow always-